and uh, welcome back to Theology Happens, where we talk theology and how it applies to our lives so that we're not just mere hearers of the word, but in fact, doers of the word as well. So I am Rob Schutz, your host, and here we are meeting once again, and this is episode 16. And again, I just want to thank you all for tuning in, those of you who have been following for a little bit now. And uh, if you are brand new, if somehow you have found just stumbled upon us here on episode 16, uh, just know that we are on social media. You can find us on um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, even Gab. I'm on Gab as well. So uh, just simply search Theology Happens and you'll find us there. Or you can go to my website, theologyhappens.com, and you can find all the links uh, for all those things there. So with that out of the way... Again, welcome, and today I want to talk about a fun word. It's a word that rolls right off the tongue, and it's a word that I think should just be in our more common vocabulary. Uh, I feel like a lot of people don't say this word enough, um, but I really love the word. I've really grown to love the word, and the word is zeitgeist. And see, what zeitgeist is, is you know the, the energy or the flavor of an age, and I'm recording this episode early in 2022. If you find this later, then uh, you'll understand maybe a little bit more of the historical context if it's a long time from now. Um, if you find it way later, then that's just crazy. Um, and if you somehow are watching this in the past, then let me know how you invented a time machine. Um, anyways, 2022 uh, is an interesting time to be alive. Um, there's been a lot going on with um, government mandates. There's been a lot going on uh, with political upheaval. And there's been a lot going on in just sort of this this shift of culture and where we're headed and where we're I, personally, I think we, we're even uh, moving beyond a postmodern era. And we've sort of found ourselves in a, a new a new world. Uh, excuse me, not a new world, but a new culture, a, a, a culture that's still maybe budding, that's still trying to find its uh, true root, its true identity. However, the zeitgeist is quite, quite clear, and that um, really, I think, comes in the form of feelings, individualism. Uh, it takes the postmodern of, uh, you know, what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me notion and and makes that ever changing uh it never really wants to put a definite um definition on literally anything um words that we as a society have uh used are being thrown out the window uh we can no longer um you know define even even the simplest of words of male or female or um I don't know. Um, well, well, never mind. We'll, we'll we'll save that for later. But this this notion of not only just what's true for you, but how you feel in any particular moment, has really sort of pushed how we we uh, are, are navigating our culture. Um, for example, some of my English friends. Uh, I'm sorry. British. <laughs> Some of my friends who are English teachers. There we go. That's how I wanted to say that. Some of my friends who are English teachers are uh, getting into trouble uh, at some of their schools because they are teaching 
books that we've taught for generations, um, or at least decades, um, that now make people uncomfortable so we're no longer allowed to talk about them. As if uh, the comfortability um, is something that, that must, uh, it, oh, well, let me put it this way, that comfortability uh, is, a, is a moral ought, right? That, that we ought to be comfortable all the time. And, and it's funny that I even say that because um, not terribly long ago, uh, Ricky Gervais, I know, I'm about to quote Ricky Gervais, which is really ironic because uh, he is very adamantly anti-Christian and anti-Bible. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, he, he recently said something to the effect of, how arrogant are you to think that everyone around you has to say something to make you happy or to make you feel uh, validated or good and and he's 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 actually right <laughs> like how arrogant have we become as a society as an individual person to think that everyone must bow to my feelings uh, yet that I think sort of summarizes the zeitgeist of our current uh, our current time again <clears throat> that notion and and again we see this sort of play out in so many different ways um, whether again it's in the political arena that you know heaven forbid you know you, you say something that that somebody might not like you got to dance around and, and walk on eggshells to make sure you say things just the right way um, in that arena you know again teachers are no longer allowed to teach particular certain books particular books that maybe use language or terminology or deal with the themes that are difficult right like um to Kill a Mockingbird is a book that's been uh, criticized lately. And uh, they, they say, well, it makes people uncomfortable because of the racist stuff and this and that. And uh, yeah, that was sort of its point was that racism is bad and those who are propagating it should feel uncomfortable. And so it uses that that, that story to, to portray that point. Um, you know, I don't know, there's a myriad of other books that are not um, nice to read as far as, oh, it's just a happy story where everything goes along and the hero maybe has some difficulties, but, you know, is always triumphant. No, 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 not, not everything does that. And uh, the real world doesn't do that, um, as a matter of fact. And so it's just funny that we now as a, as a culture are not allowed to, to deal with those, those issues uh, head on and, and go, you know what, your life isn't going to always be perfect there will be hardship and there will be times when people um, don't like you so anyways so that's sort of where we're at but as the Christian um, we should we ought to have a different frame of reference our worldview shouldn't get caught up in whatever the zeitgeist is. So whatever is popular and what the world may be doing is something that we shouldn't be uh, overly concerned with. Now, obviously, um, we have to deal with what's going on in the world. We should know sort of what's going on in the world. Uh, but we don't have to cater our worldview to what the world is demanding. So if culture is demanding a worldview that is contrary to the worldview we should hold to, we 
really should have no problem saying, I hear what you're saying, however, and present the truth. Uh, again, if you go back a couple episodes, I talk about, again, how love demands speaking the truth, and there would be a, an example of that. So um, the sort of use as a jumping off point, I want to use a, a, well, what I assume is a relatively familiar passage for probably most of you if you've been a Christian for a while or, or in the church for uh, any amount of time, you probably have run across, across this passage. Um, and I feel like I find myself saying that pretty often. So maybe I'm covering some basics in this stuff, but I don't know. Uh, at any rate, I want to turn our attention to Romans 12. And uh, I, again, willing to bet some of you are going to be like, ah, I know exactly what you're about to say. And that's great. So let's go ahead and take a, a, a close look at this couple of verses here at the beginning of uh, Romans 12. So Romans 12, chapter, excuse me, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And it says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, first of all, if you know your exegetical methodology, you know that if you start a passage and very early on into that you see a word, therefore, you should probably go backwards. Because what is the therefore based on? Why is he saying, what is he, what is he referencing when he says therefore? So if you're unfamiliar with, with the book of Romans, <clears throat> the book of Romans uh, chapters 1 through 11 are dense theology on the nature of man, the nature of God, and the nature of salvation. And how uh, rebellious sinners um, continue in their rebellion or how rebellious sinners uh, come to faith in God. And while some of you maybe want the Romans 9 debate, maybe another time, because I always want to focus on this passage and, and not get caught in the weeds there of um, that whole debate. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, just stick around the church long enough. You'll, you'll eventually find it. Um, so anyways, <clears throat> I bring that all up because that's, that's the story of, again, Romans 12, excuse me, Romans 1 through 11. Paul is, is basically working his way through, okay, here's where man is in their fallen state. Here's where they can go if they go completely unchecked, uh, being completely given over to their sin, right? At the end of Romans chapter 1 there. Uh, getting into 2 and, and 3, we then see the, the, the sin of the Jews and how they had the law, they should have been that. But then uh, Romans 3, uh, all have sinned and fall short, right? Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, building on into, you know, Romans 6, eventually uh, to that, um, that the wages of sin is death, but the grace of uh, uh, Christ is a, is a free gift. I'm paraphrasing there. But again, the, if we see that at the, the end of Romans 6, and then, you know, also things like, well, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, by no means. And, and so he wrestles with all this stuff. Again, the, the how one is a sinner, 
needs to repent, come to know Christ, how that operates, again, the new heart, the being um, regenerated, all that kind of fun stuff that, that we see um, being built upon there. And so he's now making this sort of, okay, here's the very deep theological stuff. Again, haven't read it. I, if you haven't read it, I would recommend you, you go in and check that out. And so he's building all that stuff, debating all that stuff, arguing all that about, again, how we are saved by the grace of God. And it's by the work of Christ that we have salvation. Now, therefore. Perfect. Now, therefore, brothers. So he's now specifically going, okay, I've been talking to the church, but now if you are one of these people, if you are in Christ, let's deal with now what do we do in response to our salvation, in response to the new heart, in response to uh, being formed by the potter. So, he says, now I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. <sighs> Again, he's, he's appealing to us based on our mercy that we've received, the mercies that have been shown to us, the forgiveness that has been shown to us of God, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. <sighs> if that is not a weighty sentence, then I do not know what one is. Uh, because... <laughs> Because you may not know this, things generally don't end well for sacrifices. Have you ever stopped and think about that? That in the ancient Jewish system, right, to atone for sin, to, uh, to make oneself right, God instituted a sacrificial system. And that involved the death of of some sort of animal or the complete uh, burning up of uh, an incense. Right? There's incense offerings, there's grain offerings. You know, there's other types of, it wasn't always just an animal, but definitely sin was in, usually in the context of an animal. And so you see that, that if you are going to be a living sacrifice, a again, every bull that was brought to be sacrificed, every dove, every ram, every goat, every whatever, um, that was goat. I don't know if I, I don't think there was ever a goat. I don't know. If, I don't know. I have to go back to my Levitical law. Um, rams, definitely. Bulls, for sure. Doves, absolutely. But if but every one of those animals that was brought to the altar was making noise one second and not the next. Why? Because it was killed. It would have its life taken from it. And then it would be burnt on the altar uh, to leave it in a state forever changed. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but the notion of being laid upon an altar to be killed is not one that... Um, Makes me all warm and, and fuzzy inside. Um, despite the fact that I bet this is on a bumper sticker somewhere, uh, the true imagery here is not necessarily pleasant for the physical man. I mean, I, I, ask most people. Ask almost anyone. Hey, do you do you want to be killed today? Now, you might run into some goofballs who, who say, oh yeah, that, that sounds great. Um, but I'd be willing to bet that 
vast majority um vast vast majority of the people you run into like no what what is that a threat like do i need to call the police should i run away from you what's going on here um that would probably be the more likely response but here in romans 12 paul is saying to offer yourself present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy set apart and acceptable to god which is your spiritual worship so offering up oneself on the regular daily basis is the pinnacle is the the beginning if you will of your spiritual worship but that's where things truly begin which again is why i continue to call this theology happens that if we are in christ we will want to pursue him and live a particular way and so that's where this starts in your spiritual worship to this living sacrifice so you are not coming to the altar to receive you are coming to the altar to give up of yourself to say before christ not me not my will your will where where am i to go what am i to do what am i to be about not my comfort not my desire give me my death and that is your spiritual worship so that's how this starts off with this premise that we come to die now we could take this <clears throat> and and compare it with some words that jesus has to his disciples when he says if anyone wants to come after me they must pick up their cross and and den deny themselves and follow me again this is our beginning point as a christian as a person in christ our beginning point is to surrender the self surrender the the, the selfish desire and put instead the desire to follow even follow to the cross to be sacrificed and if you're still with me <clears throat> let's keep going into verse 2 shall we do not be conformed to this world but so do not be conformed to this world so don't be like this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So step one, do not be conformed to this wor world. Excuse me. Don't get caught up. Don't go with the flow. compares it to or uh, contrasts it with but be transformed by the renewing of your mind you see I mentioned this again a couple podcasts ago when I was talking about uh, a particular acronym that's popular in today's culture that's in rebellion that in in first Corinthians chapter 6 again Paul <coughs> writes 
this list of, of different uh, sins people um, sort of found themselves in. Um, all sorts of different things. Uh, thievery, um, fornications, um, homosexuality, other types of things like that. And, and the main takeaway that I used from that passage was that those are some of you. You were that. And we have to understand, especially because Romans has just made this, this point that prior to knowing Christ, if we're outside of Christ, we are enemies of God. And so we have a mind. We come into knowing Christ with a mind that's been in the world. We have a mind that, that knows the world. It knows what the world's about. It knows what the world thinks and does and participates in. It's not just an instant, boop, the switch got flipped and all of a sudden I forgot all that stuff. No, I know, I know how the world operates. I know what the world will tell me in any given situation. I know that the world will tell me, just follow your heart. You do you. Um, I don't know, other popular idioms that, that we have in culture today that have uh, run rampant in mainstream thought. Right? Um, I, it's, it's hard not to, to think about the Stoics and the, um, the Epicureans in Paul's day when he would have been probably... Uh, probably interacted with them more than once, right? And we and we see him definitely interact potentially with some uh, when he's in Athens, but also most definitely uh, at some point. I mean, it was so both those ideologies were rampant in uh, the ancient Roman world that in a, in his journeys he must have encountered it more than once. I'm sure, but the Epicureans had this mindset of avoid pain. Avoid hardship. Avoid struggle. Seek the pleasurable things. Eat, drink, for tomorrow you die. Was sort of their rally cry. Because they understood the realities of the world. They understood that, you know, death could come at any moment. They understood that strife could come at any moment. So don't seek it out. It'll find you on its own. You just take care of yourself. You be happy. You fulfill your desires. And you'll be good. That was sort of the Epicurean mindset. And the Stoic mindset of, of Paul's day uh, was there are these certain principles of, of uh, what is a virtuous life. Again, being noble, being brave, being um, selfless. So, you know, some actually some good things on the, on the surface but the trouble that that fell into was that was the be-all, end-all. Be noble for noble's sake. Why? Well, because it's noble. But why? Well, because if you want to be noble, you'll just be noble. There was, no, there was no real other motivation just than this is what is ideal. Uh, this is what the, the, you know, the mythology glorifies. So let's, you know, let's, let's be, you know, a, a mighty champion like uh, Hercules or, you know, whatever, you know, metaphors that they had at the time, because that's the, that's the noble good. 
<coughs> but when you really boil that down, you're just doing it for you a bit, apparently. There's no there's no there's no real motivation behind it. Except that you think it's a it's a moral better than, you know, the the Epicureans who are just, you know, feeling good all the time. You say I'm more but again, like who who cares? <coughs> so both of those those worldviews fell flat because they didn't didn't really deal with the heart. They didn't really deal with man's greatest problem, and, and that's obviously sin. But in in our context, again, we we see some of those those similar principles, right? And we, we've already covered some of the popular idioms of, of the day. So <clears throat> don't be conformed into that. Don't get caught up in those things. And, and brothers and, and sisters, I'm going to challenge us here to also be very mindful of what we bring into then the church. Because there's some things that our world today tell us are moral goods. Right? There's a, there's a big movement of the Black Lives Matter movement. BLM. And on the surface, right, that phrase, Black Lives Matter, that's true. They do. Just like anybody else's life, because they're made in the image of God and they have an intrinsic value because they are human beings. Just like any ethnic um, division. Excuse me, I gotta cough for one second. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry about that. <coughs> so, there's that sure that that's a good but and they emphasize social justice uh, again uh, we can find sorry about that had a little itch um, we can find throughout the prophets and, and other places that clearly God can is concerned about justice and he wants those who are being oppressed to to, to receive what is just and good and, and he doesn't want people to be taken advantage of. So again, you can find some correlation, some terminology that they use and you go, oh, okay, cool, great, wonderful. Maybe they're, they're, they're not all that bad. Well, then you need to make sure that we dig into it and understand what they're really getting at there. Are they really talking about a biblical justice? inequality that's built upon the principles of, of scripture or do they have something else in mind and when you go and you, you dig into their website and, and you even listen to some of the founders they 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 are motivated by marxism they are motivated by socialist ideology which at its core at its root is anti-religion because they think that religion is just a thing to control people to to do things, not a, a fruitful thing like knowing Christ and worshiping him correctly. So that's scary. So maybe we shouldn't bring them into the church. Because again, their core is of this world, not of the biblical worldview. So there's that. <laughs> Speaking of, of, of socialism, um, there, there are plenty who want to use Acts 2 and say, see, they shared everything, they had everything in common. 
Uh, so the early church was socialistic. They just shared everything. Once again, that would be a, a misunderstanding because it wasn't a forced thing where the apostles were, I'll give us all your money and we'll make sure it gets divided up perfectly. No, people said, hey, I've sold this now because I know that I have some brothers and sisters in need. Can you help me get this to some people? Like It was a system of, of, of a community that wanted to help one another. There was no force. There was no obligation. No one was forced to buy in and then give everything to whoever was on top. People worked and still <laughs> had to provide for themselves and, and work for themselves and uh, take care of themselves, but there was also help for those who needed it. And there was a willingness, a personal conviction to go, hey, you know what, I have access, let me help. Or maybe I can go, maybe I can scrimp a little bit of my own to help someone else. And maybe I don't need as much as I have. And so we can see that again, this popular notion of, uh, see, communism's good, socialism's good. But is it? Because again, at its core, it hates God. So those are some popular things in our culture today. Um, I don't know how far down that rabbit trail I want to go. But anyways, here's my warning. <clears throat> here's my here's my main thrust on that point. Do your homework. Don't allow the surface levely things uh, to be sufficient. Don't let a few buzzwords um, be good enough to convince you that what people are saying is genuine and 100% in line with what you believe. Um, look at literally any cult, not that I'm necessarily claiming that BLM or, or communism are cults. Don't make that weird comparison. But my, my point is, if you look at any, any cult out there, they will use pretty much all the same language uh, the Christian church uses, but they will mean radically different things. Um, everybody has to deal with Jesus if you're talking about some sort of religious cult. And so they go, oh yeah, Jesus, he's the son of God. Ask him to define what that means. Uh, because you'll find that uh, while the Jehovah's Witnesses and the uh, LDS Church say that Jesus is the Son of God, they mean something very different than you and I would as uh, Protestant Christians. So, anyways, don't be conformed to this world, but be renewed by your mind. Again, this is why we have to do things like this, that we think things through. We have the mind that God has given us to think, to test, right, is the next word, that by testing you may discern, again, critically think, what is the will of God. Now, where do we find the will of God? Glad you asked. The will of God is contained in his word, his revelation to us, his revealed word to us. So, if we are going to then be renewed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, you have to have what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Scripture. Right? Does, uh, sorry, wasn't planning on going here, but it popped in my head and I got to go now. Oops. First Timothy, 
is why I like having the electron of one. It's a lot faster sometimes. It's not First Timothy. <laughs> Second Timothy three. And some of you are probably shouting that at me if you knew where I was going. Check out what uh, Paul writes to Timothy. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped, complete, equipped for every good work. Did you catch those words? Reproof, <laughs> correction? Sounds pretty familiar to discern, right, what is acceptable and good and all that. So <laughs> we must... We must have our grounding in scripture. We must know the word of God. We must be getting into the word of God so that our mind can be renewed so that we actually have the standard to compare and contrast with what the world says. Why am I able to go and say, hey, this is bad and this is good because I have the standard. I have the word of God so I can look through it. I know it. I'm learning it. I'm growing in it so that when something comes at me from the world and says, hey, you should bring this into the church or you should adopt this ideology. You should uh, get behind us. You should conform to us. I can go, hold on, let me check. Does this line up? Can I discern that this is good, acceptable, and perfect? Or can I discern, hmm, this is a counterfeit. This is fake. This is no good. This is lousy. Whatever other words you want to use in there for my, my younger audience. I, don't, I have no idea if I have a younger audience, but if I do, this is trash, bro. No, I'm kidding. I don't talk like that. I also teach at high school and junior high, so you'll have to apologize. Sometimes those things come out in my brain. Shout out to any of my high school or junior high students that somehow find this. This would be pretty funny. If you do find this, actually, let me know. Maybe I'll give you some extra credit. We'll see what happens with that. Anyways, that'd be funny get an email shortly after this post. Mr. Schutz, can I have some extra credit? <laughs> no, why? Um, you said you could if I watched your video. And I'll go, that's not exactly what I said. And they'll go, yeah, huh? And then I'll go to this part in the recording and go, see, is, it, is that really what I said? Again, I'm able to test and discern. <laughs> uh, way to take my own message out of context a little bit. That's okay. See, you guys can now test to that. I'm getting a little eisegetical there. <clears throat> Anyways. Let's get back on topic, shall we? Good idea. So here's what we know, right? Here's what we know based on just this text alone, what, what, we've, what we've dealt with, the context from this, this passage because of where Romans is, is that outside of Christ, we are in rebellion to, to, to Christ. We, we hate uh, God. We're at war with God. We're in enmity with God. We are, we are uh, anti-Christ. <laughs> that should be fun. Um <clears throat> But because of Christ's work, because of his mercies, he's redeemed us. For those of us that are in Christ, that would put our faith, our trust in him. We have um, been uh, shown mercy. We've been shown grace. And then because of that, in response, we should sacrifice ourselves. We should give up ourselves to what the world is saying, to what is our own selfishness. Because that is the, the pinnacle or that is the, the building blocks of our spiritual worship. But then continue on. Let's not be conformed to fit into 
what the world says. If there is anti, excuse me, anti-Christ language, anti-Christ uh, systems, anti-Christ ideology, we cannot get conformed into it. We cannot get caught up in it. We must instead be transformed by the renewing of our mind again that by the testing name we discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect and again that must therefore be knowing what the standard is so if you've taken nothing else well basically this is all I've been saying I'm just sort of giving you more detail but here's the the summary know the word of God know what God says why? Be because you love God. You're, you've been transformed. You've been shown mercy. You've been given grace. You've been lavished in his love. Go read. Go read Ephesians 1 if you don't believe me. And because of all that goodness, because of all that goodness, forsake the world's systems and the world's ideologies and anything that is contrary to Christ. And instead, let the Word of God navigate and, 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 and give you a foundation to proceed with and to move forward with so that your mind is focused on the things of God. Because we cannot have Christians who are unwilling to think things through. We can't have Christians who are unwilling to ponder and to think and to critique and to discern what's going on around us and go, is this scriptural? Is this biblical? is no matter where it comes from <laughs> no matter where it comes from always test it and so like I say many times even test me I've made a lot of crazy claims go back and read 2 Timothy 3 16 and 17 make sure you read uh, Romans 12 1 and 2 and really honestly Romans chapters 1 through 12, 1 and 2, So, because that's exactly what I've been talking about. Go and find those passages where I said, Christ said to pick up your cross and follow him. Put me to the test. Don't just take my word for it. Put me to the test. Because <sighs> what if I'm just a crazy person too? You don't know me. Maybe I am. So, let's be thoughtful Christians. Let's be discerning Christians. Let's be Christians grounded in the Word of God. And let's be Christians who offer ourselves up to Christ because of the goodness and the mercy and the grace and the love that He shows us on a regular basis. So thank you. 
I appreciate your time. And uh, again, hopefully, hopefully you get something out of this. And uh, I really appreciate you tuning in and checking us out. Uh, if you ever have any questions or, or follow up, you can, again, like I said early on, reach out on our social media stuff, or you can email me directly at uh, theologyhappens at gmail.com. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, thanks again for watching, and God bless.